Welcome to Shortcomings, a Sex in the City podcast. I am flying solo today as Sam is frantically preparing dinner for 11 people, but I am joined by someone who has lowered himself to be here with us today. He's a writer, editor, I believe a fellow View superfan, and host of Shut Up Evan. Evan Ross Katz is here, guys, a star. Hi, Hi thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Glad to be here. We're super excited to have you here. This is coming out on Wednesday, the eve of And Just Like That. And so I really wanted to just start there. How are you feeling about season two? Well, no, let's start with how... I guess actually we should start with an admission, Evan, and something that did happen. So, you know, I'm watching And Just Like That season one. I'm having a great time. I I know I'm liking it more than most people. Mm Mm-hmm. But a, there was a bit of a disconnect with a little character named Che Diaz. And you do come into this story. I was loving Che. And I'm seeing all the, hey, it's Che Diaz memes. I genuinely thought they were all, like, being made with love and affection. I was commenting on people's posts in a way of, like, I know. That's, a, that's our person. That's our new star. And I posted something on your page. That was a quote from Wuthering Heights about Che Diaz. <laughs> And I got a call from Sam, just like, what What are you doing? And she had to explain to me that the love of Che Diaz was more a joke on the internet than um, living in truth. Yeah, I mean, so it's it was tough hard. for me. I understand. It's hard to really say for certain because I don't think you're alone. I think there are people that unironically like Che Diaz. And I also think like, as is common with like phenomena of today, it's not always like rooted in there being a there there. So I think part of like the conversation about Che Diaz is more about the conversation about Che Diaz than it is about Che Diaz. It's meta for you. It's all, I mean, it's It's always meta for you? Consistently. Okay. So let's maybe just start with where did, where did you begin in your Sex in the City journey? Were you there and originally in 1998? Hmm. Or did you find the show later? I feel like a lot of people find the show in their college years. Uh huh. I found the show in season three um, because Sarah Michelle Geller was guest starring on the show, and so that was my so Buffy crossover really is moment. your route to everything. <laughs> yeah. So I, I remember dipping in midway through season three when SMG popped up, and then I really, really enjoyed it, and then I stuck with it from there, and then retroactively watched the first two seasons and then you know the part of season three that i'd missed i was an extra who was cut out of the sex in the city film in 2007 wow. who were you Is that I'm right picturing, yeah yeah i'm picturing you so beautifully interviewing for like carrie's assistant position <laughs> i that starbucks well, with annalee ashford i was at that starbucks but i was outside it was my freshman year at nyu and i like got out of class and there was the hoopla right outside of the Astor Place Starbucks. And I was like, this is my moment, um, unfortunately. And they did not inform you you cut. were cut out? So no, you just and went it's to funny. The- I, I just profiled Michael Patrick King and I mentioned it to him. And I was like, I'm not still holding a grudge, but I'm not not still holding a grudge. I met Michael Patrick King at Camelot and he was so lovely. But then we ended up walking together for too long and I didn't have much to say to him. And I sort of just looked at him. And for some reason, out of the bl- cold blue, I just said that Paul Rudd meme, like, look at us. Who'd have thought? 
And he looked like, I have to get away from this guy. <laughs> but it, it was quite a story. And I didn't mention this podcast. I don't want that for him. I understand. Yeah. So you found the show in season three. I love that you found it through Sarah Michelle Gellar and that your original episodes are the LA ones, which in my yeah. memory were terrible. And then when we covered them on this podcast, we found a lot we loved there. Yeah, I can't say there are any episodes of Sex and the City I can't find, like, many things to love. And often when people, I feel like people look at the show very differently with, like, the 2020-plus lens of it all. Um, I'm able to, like, very easily go back to that time and enjoy all of the... I wouldn't even... I mean, I think the easiest word to use is problematic, but I actually find it highly reflective of the time. And I find people kind of boxing it in as being problematic, sort of not recognizing, again, the time and that this was a really accurate reflection of a time. And if if Sex and the City is problematic, then that time that we were living in by proxy was problematic. So I suggest you not listen to this podcast because we already do a lot of exactly what you just said, which is just like, this is not good. Well, no, 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 no. It's not to say that like what you're talking about, like we're, I'm all about like that analysis. I think it's just interesting because I go back and like, I think about like the bisexual episode, for instance, which is like constantly lambasted as like being like super problematic. That's one of the least for me. It's See, more yeah, than- I don't, yeah, I don't find it problematic at all. I find Carrie's sort of issues with whether or not she feels comfortable dating a bisexual man to be a reality for many women then and now. I was going to say, I think that's it. just as reflective as sadly as some things you would hear today exactly um, i think we just know better than to not say those things out loud now yeah yeah but just because i'm curious can you give me an example of like what you find to be um just like a really problematic storyline or character or episode we, we really struggled with no ifs ands and buts famously where we meet aiden but also where samantha dates i cannot remember the black gentleman's name right that uh one... well, f- well fun fact the I can't remember his name either, but the woman who plays his sister is Sundra Oakley of Survivor Cook Islands fame. Okay, I thought you were going to say just like she wrote that art, she was interviewed and very talked about her experience on the show so beautifully. I didn't know she trotted the Survivor boards. Yeah, so she's a, a Survivor she alumni. Uh, no, but if, if memory serves, she made it to the final four. All right. Well, I'm going to, maybe we'll do a bonus episode in which Sam and I watch Survivor. That sounds thrilling. But Just but to can see I see what she's yeah. up to? Oh no, I think that would be great. But can I? But can I ask though? It's like I hear what you're saying. I guess my question is like, aren't there women like Samantha that go into these all black spaces and think that they're one of the like amongst their peers, or sort or, or sort of rather, I should say, sort of like code switch in that really awkward way that they think is permissible? Like, doesn't that exist? I actually don't have so much a problem with samantha or even the conversation around it like i actually think one of the truer and more lines that actually fit still in a 2023 world is where samantha says to charlotte quit it with the knee knee jerk liberal reaction like in those sort of white spaces it's more the show's depiction of blackness in new york city when Mm. they go to the club and you just they add all this adr of people like shut up motherfucker it's like whoa Mm. that's interesting that there isn't an authenticity to in the same way you feel that the world that Carrie and the girls inhabit is a version of New York City for them, there wasn't the version of New York City for those black people felt like they just like turned on BET and took one note and were like, we're good. Mm. And- That's such an interesting thing to point out and and see like 
I'd rather hear someone like you speak about that than I would than to say it's like, is it problematic? That perhaps that much I can't say, but I love talking to you right now and like unpacking as to like, here's the part of it that like doesn't quite work. Yeah, it's very similar to, you know, the I think it's is it the end of season four, which is where the trans up where the Samantha versus the trans women. Oh, oh, so yeah, sorry. I was gonna say it, hookers, but I can I say that? <laughs> no, the sex workers. Um, that there is a sense of like, well, what is their world? Like, and and look, doesn't just like that do a perfect job of um introducing us to the worlds of these new people of color? No. It but at least it seems interested in building out their worlds in a way that feels grounded in the well, that seems like just anathema i don't know how you use grounded and then just like that but not that i don't love the show but it so i would say those are those two episodes to me feel like the ones where we struggled with the most in terms of it's not that samantha is this isn't a proper depiction of her reaction it's that we aren't getting if we are going to do this can't we can't we dig in a little deeper no, no, I mean, like, but maybe we don't, maybe we don't. Well, need no, to. no, no. I, first of all, I so appreciate this conversation, and like, you're not wrong at all. I guess my question is, it's like, could we absolutely? Would that be great? Perhaps would it be sex in the city? Probably not. Exactly. It's so, it, and it's also just sort of like, this is the meal that we were served, and so, of course, we can always be like, well. I wish, you know, the fries were a little crispier. I wish they'd served mayonnaise along with the ketchup. Or we can kind of say, like, this is the meal that was served and I'm satiated afterwards. I guess it's just sort of like, there are so many ways in which I could go back and say, I wish they would have done this thing. But to what you just said, it's like, but it, then it wouldn't be Sex in the City. And to be very clear, that meal from the years 1998 to 2004 fed me very well. Mm-hmm. So, But at the same time, I enjoy the fact that you have a podcast in which you go back and point out all of these things that no longer work. So I don't think I have no issue with anyone going back and critiquing the show. My God, it's so worthy of critique. I think I'm not speaking about people like you and Sam so much as I am people that tend to look back at shows like this or friends and be super dismissive. I certainly think there's a conversation to be had without question, but I think dismissing their legitimacy to me is like sort of a very antiquated conversation. Oh, and there's certainly, I mean, they're two of my favorite shows and they're, le- they're, they're, wor- they're legitimate for the sole purpose of the fact that they were incredibly popular. So to your point earlier, of course they are reflective of something because we as a culture, and by the way, black people love both of those shows on the whole, they couldn't have been as popular as they were without having a massive audience that included people of many different identities. And we, you know, I've dedicated, you know, the last two years of my life to this show. So I do love it. But it has been it has been an interesting road. And sometimes I'm like, do I even like this show anymore? After talking about it for so long, but then I've been just I've actually been going back. I don't like to go forward where we are in the podcast. We're in season six. But I was like, I'm gonna go back to like season two. And I turned it on. and was like, without having to sit and take notes and think about it, it just washes over me so perfectly. And I was like, mm-hmm. I think when we talked about this episode, I hated it because I had to like critique it and think about it. But just watching it, I'm like, who cares? I'm like, why did I hate Skipper? He seems nice. Yeah. I do wonder what happened to Skipper from time to time. He's a character I'd love to join us again on in just like that. 
Oh, wow. I love that take. Concur. I mean, I would like everyone to join us. I wasn't as thrilled with the cameos we got in season one. Yeah, I, I was I, I was don't... excited about Susan Sharon, but I didn't. Ne- I mean, Bitsy's never been. I've never like enjoyed Bitsy as much as I know people do within the canon. It's there not just a performance so many, like, I love. Yeah, there are so many richer performances worth bringing back. I'm curious, though. I, I have a feeling we might see some in season two. And I'm not saying that as though I secretly know. Um, I just think do that, you? that might be the case. Do I don't you secretly know. I don't. All right. Well, if you want to reveal anything, now's the time. <laughs> Is there a character you would be the most... I mean, clearly we're getting Aiden and we can get into that a little bit. Is there a character who you would be the most in, interested and invested in and who would deepen the world in a way to you? Do like you want this, like a one-off character or you want more of like a substantial character? Both. I think. Okay, like, well, the one-off would be Sarah Alita. Oh. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, absolutely. Did she was a junior development executive. A uh... I feel like it was like Kelly. It's not mentioned, but she's known as the junior development executive. Okay. Um, So now she could be like senior, you know. Anyway, but um, it would be Amelita, uh, who I believe first appears in season one. um, Only one appearance. Yeah, and she's sort of like this European sort of like uh, just ultra fabulous friend of Carrie's that sort of shows up and just whisks her off and like lives a life of just fun, fun, fun. Where's the next club? Um, Where are we going tonight? Blah, blah, blah. And I feel like a character like Amelita could be really fun in the 2023 carry to like sort of, but in some ways I think Seema fulfills that to an extent, but Seema's a little bit more like- Grounded and- Yeah, grounded, but also like sort of like more business minded. Yes. And Amelita to me was sort of like, I don't work a day in my life. So their energies are not, not so similar so i would just love sort of like someone reckless to come into carrie's life and sort of just like you know spin her off of her axis i think that would be really fun and then as far as like more substantial characters that i would like to see come back i mean i'm obviously excited for enid to come back that's like i wasn't like begging for enid to come back but i think that's a fun one i was very glad to see natasha come back um last season briefly um there's no one else i can think of that i'm like i mean your mention of skipper is probably the one that excites me the most i just think if we just turned a corner and there he was i also i would love if in some odd strange way they found a way to bring back the direct to cameras and just recognize that mm. that is a part of our history. Like maybe Carrie's making a documentary and all of a sudden she's just like talking to Skipper on the middle of the, it just feels like we can't neglect that at one point in this show, we just chatted with people on the street or Carrie talked to the camera. Yeah. And I guess the end of In Just Like That season one gave us a bit of that when she looks directly in the camera and says, I'm Carrie Bradshaw and this is Sex in the City. And maybe that's as good of a nod as I'm gonna get. I think it might be. Unfortunately, I, I want more, you know, I love season one and two. The show was just crazier. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio appear like doesn't appear, but he comes down and saves Samantha like a Christ figure. It's that's like where I'm like, this is where they were just whatever. It feels closer to and just like that season one and two of Sex and the City. Like, we don't know what's mm. going on. Everything's crazy. And um, maybe no one is steering the ship. 
Well, I also really like that season one and two are like less fashion focused. There's definitely a shift that begins with season three when the show understood its place within the, you know, the cultural conversation. And in those earlier seasons before that was the case, they just dressed a lot more plainly. And I like both, but I feel like people remember the show as like this fashion, fashion, fashion series. And it wasn't all, well, I mean, granted, it's not like they, they were still wearing designer in season one and two, but it was just much more understated. And I love that. Well, this could also be as simplistic a question as possible for you, but you are clearly someone who is interested in fashion, writes about fashion. Is Sex and the City a part of your origin story in terms of loving clothing and that world? Definitely not, Um, only because, first of all, like it wasn't really big in the menswear space, so it wasn't as though I could like see something on Sex and the City and say, like, I want to wear that. You weren't into um, monochromatic suits? I wasn't. However, I do remember Burger's Prada shirt. Um, We just covered that something... episode. Very important. Yeah, that, that does ping for me. Um, And then also, like, as much of a staple as it is within fashion, um, you know, she was typically wearing... Dior and Valentino and Fendi and like the big brands. So it wasn't a show in the same vein as like, uh, I'm trying to think like what I would, uh, mm, euphoria ish, but like as far as like sort of digging around to sort of find up and coming designers. And it's not to say like they did, she didn't wear any of that, but like the, I don't think that the show did not introduce me to brands or, really wide in my world but if anything i was really interested in how much a television show could like instigate other people's interests in fashion i was like that's powerful would you say you and i'm i've never i'm not a big euphoria fan <clears throat> is would you say euphoria is the closest show to doing that now i just noticed you mentioned euphoria in terms of fashion. yeah i mean i think that the gossip girl reboot certainly attempted to do that i just don't think it like had was like in the zeitgeist enough to really necessarily qualify it in this conversation but like i think that they were certainly pulling some interesting looks um i mean succession definitely had fantastic and very thoughtful questions but excuse the questions thoughtful fashions but it wasn't a show that was you know there was so much else going on and again and they yet were... i feel like fashion really took over that last season once he said that line about the bag it yeah. became like everyone started to sort of narrow into that lens of yes the show. yes so that's definitely one but again again very understated uh I mean, oh, I mean, the most obvious answer is Emily in Paris, but I sort of reject that because I don't in my in, in the world in which I live, that's like not a part. Of, I mean, she's she is reacting. And I think that what made Sex and the City so good is that Sex and the City was like starting conversations. I don't know. My 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 thought is that Euphoria probably is the best example because of how much I see images and aesthetics from Euphoria becoming a part of the culture. That's so interesting. I also wanted to just follow up with, I and I think it's a really interesting and great point, the idea that Sex and the City wasn't um, interested or at least doing work to pull people up, but creating this sort of aspirational space by having Carrie and all of their fashion live in these sort of major houses. 
And do you think, and I don't know nearly enough, but hasn't just like that done anything to remedy that? Or does it need to remain consistent for the um, visual treat that we all love? Um, Because we do have two different costume designers who, while I think, and just like that's fashion is certainly reaching for what, and just the original show did. It also, I mean, Molly Rogers, and I believe his name is Danny Santiago, Mm-hmm. are two different people and two different artists and they have their right to expand and change the world. So I guess I would say, do you think it has remedied that? And also how do you find the sort of shift in fashion with these two other people at the helm? I don't think it's remedied that, but I don't necessarily think it's something that needs to be remedied. I definitely think that they have kept in the same space of like, and just like that is like big on like Valentino, for instance, and they're def- and they're the Fendi Baguette. And there are definitely keeping that aspect of the show around um and then to your second question i miss patfield what does what are you missing um i miss the idiosyncrasies i miss the whimsy i miss the fact that so to give you an example, there's a Gautier suit that Carrie wears in season 1 of and just like that when she goes and meets with her book publisher very Paula Poundstone. Indeed. Okay. But with tailoring. Yeah. Um, and I love that moment, but it stands out in such a way that in season, in, in on Sex and the City, I think it would just be another Carrie outfit. I don't know. There was something about, I, I missed, like I wanted more of that. And that feels like an anomaly on, and just like that. And I don't know. I sort of missed two, like, the Carrie motifs, like, you know, in season four, when she was really into like the belts around her waist, um, you know, like in the middle of her waist and she would just try things. I mean, most famously, like the wedding ring around her neck and just kind of like Carrie had this way of like carryifying everything. Um, and I feel like she, her, yeah, her looks are more simple is the wrong word. Um, I but find I just them fussy. Very being inventive. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. There just seems to be like a lot constantly. And not mm. that it's not always visually interesting. I am also missing, and of course, we have watched these women age, but I don't think that there's any reason that there can't be, that Carrie can't find her version of what sexy is. And mm-hmm. I'm missing sort of, Carrie's clothes to me always had a certain sex appeal, no matter how whimsical or strange they were. There was always something alluring and interesting about them. And I feel like now we're missing that. But, you know, they're at the beginning and hopefully season two, we start to see different and more exciting looks. And also, I don't need us always referencing back as much. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. For me, I don't get dressed and think, I'm going to give them something that I used to wear in 2008. It's like you, this woman is allowed to evolve and change. And I think there are ways we can evoke certain things. But also, I think like she should be forward thinking. To to your point, I'd like to see her have a new idiosyncrasy, mm-hmm. n- not reference the flower constantly. Yeah. You know, there's an outfit that I always think of that's like kind of to me like quintessential Carrie that I would love to see like that essence come over. And it's from Hot Child in the City. And it's when it's like that sort of tie-dye ombre outfit and it's like purple and pink and then she's got the bandana on and it's sort of like it's 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 is that when they're eating in the 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 cafeteria-esque 
Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just love that look so much because it's not designer. I actually don't even know who makes that look. Um, But it's just so... I've never seen anyone wear that before her or anyone after. And I love that it's matching. Um, It's so specific. Quintessentially Pat Field. Yeah. So I just like... I feel like there's become on and just like that a very... Um, Carrie has a very specific, not, I keep saying the word specific, which I hate, but Carrie has a silhouette on and just like that. And I think on sex in the city, there are so many Carrie silhouettes to the point where it almost feels like silhouette agnostic. Uh, I, I miss that. Now, one of my favorite things about and just like that was, silhouette you know, the, agnostic, <laughs> you know, I, I've never heard that phrase before, but I really loved it. Sorry. Sorry. What were you saying? Um, one of my favorite things about And Just Like That was the introduction of all of these new women. So I'd love to just run through and get your feelings about them, where you want to see them. Do you want to see more of them? How are you feeling about a, a little lady named Lisa Todd Wexley? Um, what is she bringing us? I don't think she like evokes a strong reaction from really? me. I feel like, and I feel like I'm going to, this will kind of be a recurring theme as we uh, cycle through these new characters. Uh They feel like they're very much like not fully sketched out quite yet. So with Lisa Todd Wexley, it's like, I understand what they want, which is like this Upper East Side wealthy mom who's actually able to have it all, right? It's sort of like she's meant to be the like, She's in the boardroom. She's got the three kids. She's present in their lives. She has the husband. They have a lot of sex. Like, you know, and she comes in and she's sort of like, I guess almost that like aspirational figure for Charlotte. Yeah, she creates a new ideal for her to to strive for. Right. But I guess from like a from a writer perspective, I don't know like what we do with that character. Because for me, the only direction you go when you have a character who has it all is take some of that away. But I also feel like we've seen that happen to characters before. So that's not even that interesting. So I guess I just don't know like how Lisa fits in. And then I don't know how Lisa fits into the world of Carrie or Miranda. Um, Cause like the connection seems to be Charlotte and their kids. Um, but so I just don't know what like the long game is with Lisa. I, I do think she's going to be the hardest character to justify folding into like seeing her at brunch with the other girls. Yeah. And it and it, look, it might just be I find Nicole Ari Parker to be the most stunning person and simply magnetic to look at on screen. And that's doing a lot of the work of me enjoying her. And I can admit that. One Nia Wallace, who I who to me is sort of the most interesting of our newest characters in terms of the writing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love to see Nia break free from her relationship, which is clearly a relationship I think, that <laughs> I think we you got it, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make her very happy. Um, I okay. So one thing to Naya's credit that I really like is Naya's like the least tethered character. I guess Seema as well, but like Naya has the most places we can go with this character. And like one of my favorite scenes from the first season involves Naya, and it's when her and Andre are in the car. It is the funniest scene of season one. Yeah, and that actor on the is a star, a star. Um, so I feel like I would say of all the new characters, Naya is definitely the one I've got my eye on as far as like the promise of Naya. I also like the fact that we know little about her in a good way, which means there's plenty more to learn about her. And I feel like 
I don't know where Naya comes from. I don't know how long she's been in the city. I'm curious to see. So obviously we know Che is, excuse me, Che and Miranda are in LA. So I'm curious how they weave Naya into the plot because she's going to be without her connector in the beginning at least. So that's one thing that I'm curious about. Oh, God, I had not thought about that. But it does seem from the trailer we are at least getting Che and Carrie out. I'm sorry. Che, well, I'd also love to see che, che and Carrie go out for dinner. But Che and Naya, uh, Carrie and Naya go out for drinks at one point, it seems mm. from the trailer, and are hunting men. And yeah, well, there are, are single gals. Yeah, and it seems you do enjoy Seema. Uh, no? <laughs> no, no, no. I do enjoy Seema. But again, it's very similar to that, uh, to uh, uh, um, Nicole Ari Parker's character's name. Pardon me. LTW. LTW, yes. Oh, my God. Uh, Similar to LTW, which is just like, we keep bringing in these like ultra fabulous people. And I just don't think that makes for the most compelling characters, Um, especially when like, We've had ultra fabulous people come in in the past and then just have their ass handed to them. Um, I need, like, when I think about, like, Enid Wexler, there's so much tension there with Enid because she's super insecure and actually kind of, like, lonely and a bit of a loser and, like, but works at Vogue, right? So it's, like, there's that interesting tension. With Seema, again, it's sort of, like, She's fabulous. She's beautiful. She's super wealthy. And so her thing is that like, and then she's fucking a really hot guy and smoking cigarettes in bed. So it's like, where do we go with Seema? Yeah, I do hope. And I think this is also an, a matter of the fact that they were introducing these new characters, that they were answering to the diversity question and criticisms of the original series. And perhaps there was some hesitation in the first season to really um, be honest and tell darker and stories about people of color because they were presenting them in this new light. And so there is a certain surface level to all... I Well, I guess Che is somewhat... If, if one is... We know the most about it is Che. The other three, I hope that they are willing to interrogate and investigate them. And to your point give them sort of what I think Michael Patrick King would have referred to during the original show as pies in the face, because it isn't hitting the same beats as the original. It isn't Charlotte gets Trey, but he's impotent. Yes. And I think interestingly, like had they brought in a cavalcade of new white characters, I think we would have dealt with a similar dissonance um, in that. I mean, obviously does this feel shoehorned? Yes, but I think it would have felt shoehorned albeit in a different way just because we have these not only three plus because we have the ancillary characters the steves the harrys etc but we have these three characters that are not only like known and loved um but we've we've watched them grow over there's so much that we've seen of their range of being we know what carrie's like when she's mad when she's happy when she's orgasming when she's going through financial issues. I don't know that I know robbed. about her orgasms. Do you feel you have dropped into that? I can picture it. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. I know par- when what Carrie's like when she passes gas in bed. Like, we know all of these how Carrie reacts when ser- scenarios. Whereas if you were to be like, if we were to play the game of like, what would Seema do in this situation? 
I wouldn't. And again, we've only watched 10 episodes. So like, I would I'm not, say, I, I guess she'd yeah. smoke a cigarette. I don't. Yeah. But it's like, I'm not counting her out. But like, as far as like what these characters would do, whereas like, if you play the game, what would Samantha do in this scenario? It's such a fun game, right? Yeah. Because it's like, oh my God, the places we go. And I think again, a lot of us were playing that game during season one of it, just like that. Like, well, what I would Samantha we do? I think we might have been too. So all this to say that like, I think bringing in new characters, which is a really bold choice. And I absolutely applaud bold choices in life. Um, but no matter who they were, there was always going to be just the thought pattern around how they fit into a world that is so established. It's not just like bringing new characters onto a show. This is like a taller order than that. This is sex and the city. Right. This isn't bringing in like janky new interns on Grey's Anatomy. This is... right. That's we've, a great example. We've got a world and we've lived with them. And we've also had like 12 years of anticipation of seeing them again. And this is why I've also argued that and just like that should be an hour long show. Mm. I just think that I, I just don't think the 30 minute it's not a it's not a comedy. So I, I don't know why we're restricting and I don't think Emmy nominations or anything we should be worried about. So let's play with structure. Let's go well, to an it hour. is expanding to 45 minutes for season two. An episode? Yeah. Wow. That's news. I don't even know that I've read that. So you'll get half your wish. And and I was, and I'll still want more for season three. Great. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about Aiden returning? We are not an Aiden loving podcast. Um, I don't. I uh, I love Aiden. I love I love season three Aiden so much. Um, I don't. Wow, have, like, you don't strong, hear that a lot. Yeah, I you don't have a strong before. reaction to the news. I think that being that we got him back briefly in season, excuse me, in the second film, I feel like that was sort of in some senses a blowing Can up the load. Can we touch down on the second film quickly? God, I haven't seen it in a while, but sure. What do you what do you think of it? Because I, I call it more of an event. Like when people refer to it as a movie, that's where I think they're having problems. It is not a movie. It is something you experience. It is like a that and just like that experience I just went to. It, it is a Sex and the City experience. It shouldn't be held to the standards of plot or character development. It is something mm -hmm. that washes over you, and you get to enjoy Liza Minnelli random soccer players hot soccer players are going to show up they have to run out of the hotel for literally no reason it's it's something i love it yeah i i don't love it um <laughs> I, I, the, the, the cheese stands alone there but i am glad it exists and i feel i think the truck the the trouble with satc2 is knowing that for 11 years, it was the last thing we ever saw of the girlies. And so it kind of reminds me of like Real Housewives of New York's last season where it's like, wow, that's a really tough comparison, but apt. But it's kind of like, this is how we're going to like have to go out remembering like Lu Luann and Dorinda. Like this is where, or the, you know, or I think Dorinda wasn't even on at that point. But you know what I mean? It's just sort of like, I want to remember my girls how I want to remember my So girls. under that, guys, and just like that is the season five of Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip? Yes. <laughs> yes. We're back. Throw them on an <laughs> island. And I hope we go back to Mexico. I hope we go on a trip and end just like that season two. 
That would be fun because that trip in the movie is, yeah. I mean, we uh, went to the high points. Yeah, I mean, we went to Mexico in the first movie, Abu Dhabi. Of course, your origin story, LA, the LA episodes, Mm -hmm. the train ride to San Francisco. I think there is something to be said about getting these women out of New York for a bit. Yeah, even love in season one when they go to the baby shower, right? um, Or just um, get it, and then there's the whole thing of like them getting the car and the antics of like who's gonna drive. It's so fun watching them exists in worlds outside of New York because they are such New Yorkers and you're able to underline that reality when you remove New York. Yeah, it was so fun when we covered the episode where they where Carrie and Samantha travel via train to California to see Big. And the guys who are wa- who are like not at all thr- thrilled with Samantha's like antics and it is like that is what would happen if a woman stood up in front of a group of men and was like, who's going to pop my cork? They would look at her like, wow, this is, what's happening? But in the world of Sex and the City's New York, it's like, that is how we operate and work. So I think there is some merit to bursting them out. I know that Michael Patrick King had mentioned in season one, there was, they were going to go to um, the Hamptons and there was going to be an episode that solely took place at Big and Carrie's Hamptons house. And look, maybe let's get them there. The Hamptons are part of our history. Yes. Put her back I in also, that cowboy hat. Yes. I also just love the idea of like having them like mixing it up with like 20 somethings. Like I just love the idea. And like, I know we got a little bit of Are this, you a fan of like, Lisette, her downstairs neighbor? I'm not. And I'm, I wasn't thrilled to see her pop up in the trailer. Yeah. She's joining um, us again. I liked Lisette and her hot boyfriend who called her, you're such an out of towner, which is a shocking line. I more want, but I feel like, you know, from like the, the young people that we've seen so far and just like that, like, obviously we're getting like the Lily Rock age group and then we're getting like the Brady age group, which is a bit ambiguous as to like 19, 47. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I more just want, I mean, again, thinking about the role that Sarah Michelle Gellar played <laughs> in season three, she was meant to sort of reflect to Carrie that making her feel old by the fact that she had these 20 somethings that were like, I want to be you when I'm older. I want like the re-up of that sort of sentiment. I also would, and I'm always craving this, the established, the truth of the matter is, is that Carrie is a celebrity. And I don't don't treat her like that anymore. I don't always know that the show is, even in the original show, it's like this woman should be noticed and more famous than she is. I always appreciate when it is mentioned. For example, in that Prada shirt episode with Burger, when they're taking photos and they all know who she is. And she says, I used to be a bit of a party girl. That's one of my favorite moments because it not only references the show we have seen, but also the whole life Carrie had before we found her. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, well, she's, probably like a best set multiple times best-selling author i don't know how popular x y and me was that podcast but it seemed to do good numbers and i just think we should see her live in some type of celebrity mm-hmm. i'm also curious like so she because she now has this podcast with season two which is sex in the city the podcast i was and hoping that curious. wasn't joining us in season two and i'm just curious like what does that consists of because like she's not really like I mean I guess maybe she'll begin dating but like so much of her column back in the day was her constantly going on dates or reflecting on her relationships and I'm just curious like how 
that podcast functions. I just miss like the weird men that would cycle in and out. Um, you know, most famously with like the freak show episode, but just like this way in which like you just like got to meet so many archetypes of bachelors that exist. And yeah, I'm, Hey, I'm hopeful that that can. Well, it's something we've like even tracked during, as we've gone through the show is that the world of sex in the city felt really big in season one and two, you would run into some one on the street and we would briefly find out, Oh yes, I've known Capote Duncan for years and for this reason. And this guy is an artist who like um records himself sleeping with models. Carrie's world felt very large and full of these strange New York characters. And as the show went on, it felt we could only do that occasionally. And it is something I miss, which is why I think that the cameo space of In Just Like That is so big, because there all are all of these crazy one-off people and i don't want to just restrict it to carrie i'm like let's just let's have him seema date dr robert leeds like just bring someone back for i was hoping aiden actually intersected not through carrie but he's dating one of the other women and carrie mm. has to figure that out because i think it's insane i'm like how many times can these people circle back to one another we'll find out i hope i know well we will yeah you're right you we will in terms of the original show, one thing we really struggled with was season five. The shorter eight episodes, SJP's pregnant, and everything feels amiss. Do you have any sort of feelings about season five? We went in thinking it was like one of our favorite seasons of the show. And then we were like, ev almost every episode is unwatchable. Well, season five very much feels like a bridge between four and six A. Um... I guess my 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 curiosity would be like, what? So had SJ not gotten pregnant, and they had to do a full eighteen episode season, I'm curious to know if they would have done things differently. Had they originally envisioned season five in a different way? How far along did they get in that process of envisioning? I'm basically like, if we're to imagine that there are like ten lost episodes in season five, like what would those be comprised of? And it also felt like the show really struggles, and this is something I'm putting together now, if Carrie is not in a relationship. that they, fi they find it difficult. I, I was like, why is she just this meandering around? They couldn't even figure out how to have her date properly. And then I, I, when I'm thinking about it, it is like it is a very rare period that she is the person doing the men of the week. Although when she does, it's always great. I mean, I love Justin Theroux. It's one of my fave episodes. Which time? The the second time. I don't yeah. think we. The I don't think anyone's. Count. Yeah, that's yeah. like that's just a hey, who's that guy? Yeah. The eponymous title of this podcast is from that very episode, shortcomings. Mm. And I'd love to see. Val well, she's passed. <laughs> I don't know that Valerie Harper will be joining us. No, but I love. But like, I love that character. Where like, you get this woman come in for what, like three or four scenes, and then. When she's filled with sadness about parting ways with Carrie, you, the audience, are filled with sadness about parting ways with her character. They were able to, like, develop... Again, like, that was the charm of Sex and the City. It's like, someone would come in for five minutes and you would have an entire... It's like, so this is what's funny. The game that we were talking about earlier, the what would so-and-so do in that scenario... I could I absolutely could tell it. you what Valerie Harper's playing. Exactly. I know what she's up to. Yes, so it's strange that they 
in the past had that ability to bring a character in for two seconds and have them just completely sketched out. And that's something that I don't think in just like that has. Do you think he can get it? Uh, yes. I mean, honestly, why not say yes? Because like, if we, you, me, people listening to this podcast, if we are fans of this thing and we don't think it's capable of being the thing that we once loved again, then like, what's the point? I should also be clear. I love what it's morphed into. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not saying you were accusing yeah. anyone. I'm, no, I'm no, not. no, no. I just, I, because I feel like I'm also being down. I'm only being down on Injust Like That when I am comparing it to what it is supposed to be, which is Sex in the City. Yeah, that makes sense. And maybe, although I wonder if that was more of a legal thing and the Darren Star and of it all that they couldn't call it Sex in the City. But I, I don't think they wanted to. Okay, so then the, which is great, because it that I think creates, we, as I said, when I watched the first two episodes, I was like, I think it's pretty intentional. We need to think of this as a different show. We're in, we're not in Kansas anymore. Like, this is, we are in a new land, new tone. I'm not laughing, but I am thinking a lot. Well, we but laughed I, at the scene with Naya in the car. I... <laughs> That is one of the... I, I could watch that scene a million times. And I... The Chucky doll. The weird moments in which, like, New York burst in in sort of an insane way. And, and in ways that I don't think the original show even did. Well, I'm reminded... I mean, like, the car scene reminded me of Michael Patrick King's VCs cameo from season six. So, like, I feel like those... I feel like the show had it in those moments where it liked to show... And also just even thinking about, I mean, like the iconic splat and yeah. Kristen Johnson falling out the window, like that, that sort of like weird humor that, 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 that scene. And then just like that was sort of capturing. I, I'd love to see more of that. And one of my favorite scenes in all of the Sex and the City cinematic universe is when Miranda and Steve are fighting outside of Carrie's engagement party. There are two girls who walk past them and just yep. go, what the fuck is going on? That's it's, such a good example. It is a perfect moment of like, that is what being in a city in which you're so forced to be cramped together is. It's like, you're going to have a 20-year-old walk past you and like just go like, who are these old people? Like, that's crazy. Totally. There's, there's another instance similar to that that I'm not going to think of when Carrie... Either has like a big outburst in front of Aiden or, but, or big or something. But yes, those moments are so fantastic because they're so real, but you're also reminded of the characters uh, like existence within New York and how, despite the fact that they are living in their own world, they have to come up against a world that has no, you know, discernment for who they are. Would you, and this is an interesting thing for both Sam and I, I don't think either of us would put Sex in the City in sort of our top five favorite television shows, and yet we have this podcast dedicated to it. Would you? Yeah, I would put it as my number three. Would or one? Well, I think, am I correct in guessing Buffy would be number one? Buffy would be number one. Well, I'll put it in my top five. So I can just name my five, but I don't want to rank it besides Buffy. But I would put the comeback. So Buffy is number one. Buffy is number one. Okay. And then I would put the comeback. Sex in the City, Breaking Bad, and Weeds. That is a bag of tricks. Weeds. You watched all of Weeds. Oh, fuck yes. And I'm rewatching it right now. And how are you feeling about Mary Louise joining us again, trotting those boards, having her own in just like that journey? Isn't, Wait, that, tell isn't that show coming back? Is it? 
Yeah, I think it... Hold on, I don't want to have reported. It's Weeds Reboot. Oh. My. Well. God. It was announced, but I am seeing one day ago, Mary Louise Parker thinks that the Weeds Reboot might fall apart. So okay, it, I need to get Genji Cohen on the phone. Um, <laughs> I didn't even know about this. I, I, I it, because of the writer strike, she thinks it is going to fall apart. But it was I, announced that it is happening. I feel strongly. Oh my god! But then in May, Justin Kirk doubts it will be made. May not return. I don't. Yeah. Oh, and well, it's saying it's been nearly four years since we learned that a sequel series is in the works. Okay, I'm not. Um, okay, what show am I thinking? Oh, I'm sorry. Apologies. I'm thinking of Nurse Jackie. Oh God, unfamiliar. The, the Showtime universe is all one and the same to me. Wow. Oh my God. If. Ap- oh my God. If Weeds comes back, we could only hope. I I love Mary Louise Parker. Me too. One of the greatest stage performances I've I ever saw in um proof. At a gabbler? Oh, okay. No. I, I wish. So it was weeds. I and then what the comeback brilliant, beautiful. I, I both want more and also think we need to leave it alone. And then what was the other? Sorry. SATC and the comeback. No, there was one other one in there. SATC the come oh Breaking Bad Breaking Bad okay that was one that also threw me for a loop because I've never seen it I've only well I've seen the finale and I loved it so maybe I should watch it but I say that only to say that I feel like Sex and the City is a show that while it isn't my favorite is lives in such a cozy comfort place in my heart and maybe that is ultimately the appeal of the show. And I did recently go to New York to see the And Just Like That experience. I found it to be a little too focused on clothing, which is, of course, I think the easiest way to externalize and make tangible in a, the show, which so that totally made sense, although I wish it hadn't just been Carrie-focused. What to you is the thing that brings you back to Sex and the City? Hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about you pointing out the line about the two girls walking by and being like, what the fuck is just being like, there's just an oddballness about the show that I don't see in other shows ever. And so many odd choices. I'm thinking about um, the, is it, is it marathon man that wanted his ass eaten? Yes. Like that is just a plot point that like what other show would present that it's just so weird and then on top of that if it were to be like a seinfeld plot if you will the the joke would have been how disgusting the ass is but he's so hot and he's got a hot ass and the joke is miranda's not sure if she's comfortable eating ass and that the show is smart enough and dare i say progressive enough to make it not an undesirable thing miranda wants she is happy to have it done to her. It yes. is It is all centered about her. It is not the act. It is about her comfort level and ultimately a story about her boundaries that she yes. can't break down. Yes. And then also just like, I just think it had such a clever, I mean, obviously this is a very famous moment, but the funky tasting spunk thing, it's like the fact that Samantha had the wherewithal to be like, not like I can't do this anymore. I'll keep doing it, but like we've got to work putting, on this. Yeah, but here's and here are the terms, right? 
I, there's just something about it. Like it, it was, it did, it went places that nowhere went before it and nowhere has been able to go since it. And both plot points, but also just small details. Um, I do love the, your answer. To, I, what do you love about Sex and the City? Ass-eating and funky spunk. Ass-eating and funky spunk. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, I mean and then, you know, what's coming to mind for me is like when, uh, when uh, uh, Charlotte is dressing up like a drag king and oh. the guy puts the sock down her pants and she finds it so it's just like that is so fucking weird and i love that the show was able to make it like it wasn't a conventional comedy because you could understand like charlotte was having genuine pleasure it wasn't her pleasure for laughs like it just had this way of like striking a tone that i just think any other show would try and veer it in more of a clear sense of how it wanted you the audience to feel and it just was like really thinking about itself and not its perception well there is something really i think fascinating and eye-opening that the show isn't interested in for lack of a better term the morality of pleasure like pleasure Mm -hmm. is pleasure and that morality really comes and ethics really come into play when it comes to friendships and like actual committed sexual relationships but for the most part these women are allowed the opportunity to sort of traverse their sexual landscape however they would like and that is i think a particularly certainly groundbreaking at that time but sadly i think still hasn't really been explored in depth by another show perhaps maybe because it would feel derivative of sex in the city to do it um but i can't name another show that is so invested in four women enjoying themselves sexually or even one woman yeah i can't that's certainly right i mean the closest there was that constant like what's the next sex in the city with girls and was looking the gay sex in the city and it's like those shows aren't interested in those characters in the same way they are interested in them but for different ways and how they display different things about life and the particularities of that time Do you think there, so would you agree? I mean, I would now thinking about it would say there has never been a show as upfront about women's sexuality or I don't, well, I'm not interested in a show about men's sexuality. I think there have been shows that are as upfront because I think about like the L word or queer as folk. I think it's just, but shows that were this, um, even taking the sex out of it, it's just characters that were this sharply defined. I've never seen. I would absolutely agree because I, I mean I watched a lot of both Queer as Folk and the L Word, but I don't know that um I left as deeply moved by their character work on those shows. Um and speaking of that, as you know, two queer people, the show certainly has a queer sensibility, but I think it is um over the years there's been this whole thing of it is this a show written by gay men, which I've always found to be sort of dismissive of like the fact that i believe the entire writer's room was women with the exception of michael patrick king do and yet and is the case within just like that save for one writer yeah so so just because he is the showrunner and sort of face of the the show and i don't know how the movies worked if he consulted with those writers or had their advice but at that point he had certainly mined those women's the writers lives 
for um to build the sort of stories and lives of those four characters but i think for a show that i think has such a devoted queer audience how do you feel about the sort of depiction of queerness on the show particularly the original show of sort of stanford and anthony i love it because <laughs> I, no I notes <laughs> yeah i mean both uh i love them both particularly stanford again i think We've never had a character like Sanford since. Um, and I love the fact that Carrie never sort of reduces Stanford to being her gay best friend. I mean, she might use like, lang- no, I I don't think she does. Well, I think she might use a, language like there's that. There's one terrible moment when the mm-hmm. girls are, when she's inviting everyone over to Petrotsky's dinner. I want to say they're uh-huh. at a dog show. And she says oh, everyone come to meet Petrotsky. And then she looks at Stanford and says, oh, you'll get second round. And it, But is that because he's I don't, gay? It, it certainly feels... It certainly feels... Not because he's gay, but it does make him feel like second tier. Well, but that's interesting to me. I know, but it... Yeah, and that's... You know what? That's just Carrie's casual cruelty. So I'm going to put exactly, that Carrie, I mean, like not... But um, no, I, I love the depiction of queerness. I love, you know, thinking about Murray Bartlett in season four and then obviously her bisexual boyfriend in season two and the gay couple that Samantha has the threesome with. I mean, like there's so and then, and then also the deeply effeminate uh, Dan. Is it Dan Fetterman? Dan? Oh, he's so good in that episode. I believe yeah. it is. Academy Award uh, nominee. But anyway, so yes, I, I love the overall queer, uh, Samantha's, uh, you know, dip into the lady pond in season four. Uh, I love it all. I love it all. But I really, I particularly love Sanford just because I feel like you don't. And I love like that, you know, he got a couple of instances of having a B plot and I love his uh, big tool for you plot line. And I just, I love Sanford. I'm, it's such a loss uh, for all the obvious reasons, but also just like to wonder you know, what could have been had we gotten more of Stanford on an end just like that. Absolutely. Because I think he was the best possibility to fill the void of Samantha. Certainly the most natural. It would have felt a lot easier having him at the table than Anthony, which God, as much like as I love that performance, it, yeah. it doesn't, it just never set right to me that he would at all be interested in Carrie's life. I don't love, like, Anthony's the character, I mean, obviously I know all the characters have changed a lot, but Anthony, to me, was meant to be, like, the character worked in such small doses, and they've, like, humanized what I think was meant to be a sort of very surface character in a good way, and I don't really need Anthony humanized. And there's a, one of, and in my rewatch of In Just Like That, one of the stranger moments is when he brings a Holocaust denier to their dinner as this one-off joke. Yeah, that was a strange moment, a, a cameo by Matthew Wilkes. Yeah, I, yeah, that to me was like meant to be in the same vein as the humor, as the car moment with Maya that we keep referencing. Yeah. But it's that it's like, because the show doesn't do that regularly, it's like unclear as to what the tone is. Right, and you know who I loved, if we're talking about queer icons on Sex and the City and in Just Like That, is one doctor, I believe, Rabbi Jen. Dr. Jen, Rabbi Jen. Love Rabbi Jen. Bring back Rabbi Jen. Like a breath of fresh air, and I to me was just like, finally, we have something to work with here. I don't know, mm-hmm. there's just something about Hari Neff's performance of that role that just feels so 
quintessentially Sex in the City, and yet exactly what in just like that should be, which is this updated version of that quintessential thing. And I don't know in what world we'd see Rabbi Jen again in season two, but I'm really hoping. I mean... And I know there's no... Look, there wasn't any reason for Rabbi Jen to appear the first time, so... Right, so we did the bar about mitzvah or whatever it was being called. They yeah, mitzvah. I don't... They mitzvah. Uh, I don't know. Get her out of the synagogue. Have her just go for drinks. I'm happy to yeah. see her at the table. Yeah, me too. So, Evan, before I let you go, I guess I would just like to hear your sort of coda on Sex and the City in terms of where it stands today. We are in its 25th anniversary. Clearly, we both agree that it is standed the test of time. But what do you think the sort of show's enduring legacy will be? Because to your point earlier, we have had this great opportunity now for Sex and the City 2 to not be our final moment? Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like the show will sort of always be known for being the first of its kind in introducing this notion of, and again, this is the late 90s, and there was very much popularized this idea that like women were meant to reach a certain age, meet a man, get married, have kids, and settle down. And Sex and the City was that show that came along and said, well... What if we didn't? And those people that are doing that, I think that they're often really unhappy. And I feel like that combination is the alchemy. It's not just about showing that single women can be fabulous and go on dates and have sex and whatnot. It also was sort of poking a hole in this idea that the happily ever after that we've been fed is in fact a prison. And I think that's the combo. What a great final moment. Evan, thank you so much for joining us. Well, us, Sam is not here, me. We really appreciated it. We hope you will maybe come back for a little and just like that debrief. And I I cannot imagine what we're getting from season two. I cannot wait to see Carrie, Aiden, and Steve on Coney Island. Mm. And for those interested, I will be recapping and just like that weekly on my podcast, Drop Your Buffs. It's a survivor podcast. I was but because well, because of Sundra's appearance on Sex and the City, that is the bridge that we needed to convert. Our podcast converts to become other things from time to time. And I was so, expecting Shut Up Evan. It feels like it would live more beautifully and naturally there. It does, and it's But you know what? And Um, just like that is a Survivor show. It might as well be. Who's going to be left by the end of season two? And then you said this is coming out Wednesday, so people can check out uh, Michael Patrick King as the latest guest on Shut Up Evan. And we do a thorough deep dive on all things Sex and the City, so check that out as well. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure.